Hello everyone! As a heads up, this episode has been divided into two parts. You are now listening to part two. If you haven't listened to part one yet, please go back and do so before continuing forward. We hope you enjoy. Next we'll move into the next phase of the book, which focuses around Frank Churchill. So Frank Churchill is the son of Mr. Weston. They have different last names because Frank Churchill was raised by his aunt and uncle, his his wealthy aunt and uncle. After his mother, it's on his mother's side, and after his mother passed away and Mr. Weston ended up kind of losing all his money and needing to get back on his feet, the aunt and uncle agreed to take in the son, and so that's where he's lived the majority of his life. And Mr. Weston, reminder, is the governess's husband now that Miss Taylor moved and became his wife. So throughout this early stage of the book, there's been moments of discussion of Frank Churchill coming to visit because um, his father just got married and so he needs to meet the new bride. And he keeps putting it off. And so it's very easy to think, oh, what a selfish, like, what? And Mr. Knightley even points this out. now. Part of Mr. Knightley's problem with Frank Churchill is that Emma likes him so much and Mr. Knightley is jealous of him and jealous of that attention. And so that's a key point to bring up early on as far as this goes. But he also is being ungenerous and not understanding to some of Frank Churchill's situation that's just very different from his. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a specific conversation that Emma has with Mr. Knightley about Frank Churchill after Frank Churchill says again that he can't actually come because of his aunt's lack of health which I think the aunt is so interesting Mrs. Churchill because she is never on page yeah. but she has such an impact on the plot yeah. but she's never there she's a lot never of power. physically there okay yeah so they find out that Frank Churchill's not coming and it says Emma was not at this time in a state of spirits to care really about Mr. Frank Churchill's not coming except as a disappointment at Randall's which is the house of the Westons which this is after the Mr. Elton fiasco so she's very down about that still and she doesn't really care but this is a great ministering moment for her to show that care for her friends and that she pretends that she's like really sad about it she wants to seem like herself so that they don't worry about her during this time when they're struggling with stuff and so she says she wanted rather to be quiet and out of temptation But still, as it was desirable that she should appear in general like her usual self, she took care to express as much interest in the circumstance and enter as warmly into Mr. and Mrs. Weston's disappointment as might naturally belong to their friendship. So then she has this conversation with Mr. Knightley, and he is very, he basically is just saying there is no reason why he shouldn't be here besides selfish reasons. Like, there is no reason why his aunt's ill health should control whether he comes or not. Um, should control whether he fulfills his duty is how he treats it because it is it's his stepmother that he should go meet (laughs) and he does have a responsibility to go do that especially as not his father's heir because they I think they decide that he's just going to be the heir of the Churchills and Mm -hmm. Mr. Weston can have his own heirs since it's not like Frank will need anymore but it says a sensible man would find no difficulty in it. He would feel himself in the right. And so he would make it happen. He's basically, he's like, he's an independent young man. He should be able to control his own time, basically. And so Emma, it's very interesting because Emma doesn't care. Like she's, It makes it very clear. Like Emma doesn't really care that much. She's just pretending to care for the sake of the Westons. And so in this conversation, even... She doesn't care that much, but she finds herself defending Frank um, for those reasons. 
And she's, like, shocked that Mr. Knightley is so upset about the idea of Frank Churchill. And she's, like, she kind of just moves on. But she, like, even she notices, like, that was a little intense (laughs) for Mr. Knightley. to Intensive feelings for Mr. Knightley about such a situation. Somebody he doesn't even know. Like, calm down, dude. (laughs) And we continue to see Emma fake it till she makes it, so to speak, when it comes to the introduction of Jane Fairfax. So Jane Fairfax is the niece of Miss Bates, the granddaughter of Mrs. Bates, and the chatty Cathy one and her mother. And she is very well loved by them. She's actually been raised similar to Frank Churchill. She's been raised by family friends, the Dixons, and they don't have enough to give her a dowry or anything. So she's pretty poor, but she was raised there. The Bates's home used to be an establishment. Like they used to have a good amount of money. They've just lost it all due to likely decisions made by their father slash husband over time and so we see Jane Fairfax is living with the Dixons and Emma does not like Jane Fairfax and you get the feeling very quickly that it's because she's jealous of her yeah like Jane Fairfax is known to be amazing at piano and she's just very she has a very charming attitude and demeanor and she's very calm. Everybody looks up to her. <laughs> yes, exactly. Everybody looks up to her, and Emma does not like that. She goes to visit the Bateses because Harriet's really depressed, and she's like, I need help <laughs> to cheer Harriet up, and she's like, who better than Miss Bates, even though it annoys Emma, which is another moment of just, like, really showing care for Harriet that she's like, I want to cheer my friend up, and I know I can't do it alone, so I'm willing to put up with these people I kind of can't stand for her sake also yeah. she wants to be a good person in the community and yeah she does go visit the Bateses occasionally she them, visit them enough she yeah. even says like she's been remiss in visiting them and so she's like I need to anyway and Harriet needs some help so let's go it's like how we're commanded to visit the poor and the widows but sometimes you're like but I really don't want to talk to that widow yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, we're but you know you need her. to anyway that's yes. kind of the situation uh-huh. going on here yeah. exactly <laughs> Exactly. And so, again, we're seeing that she has something in her that leads her to want to do that, to want. Maybe part of it is responsibility, but I do think part of it is she wants to be a caring, loving person. Yes. She genuinely wants to be that kind of person. Um, And I think she probably learned a lot about that from the Nightlies. And so she really respects that that charitable um, instinct that's in her friends and so she wants to replicate that and one of the first things they start talking about before she's like she did not ask about Jane Fairfax specifically because she didn't want to hear about her but one of the first things they start talking about is a letter from Jane (laughs) and she has to hear about it and basically um, the Dixons so her friend Mary Dixon I believe is the name anyway the Miss Dixon is getting married. I'm sorry, I kept saying Dixon. So it's the Campbells. Dixon is the name of her friend's new husband. So it becomes Mrs. Dixon and Mr. Dixon, who is her friend and her friend's new husband. Um, And then the Campbells are the family name of them. So backtrack. But um, the Campbells are going to Ireland, I believe. And Mr. and Mrs. Dixon have their own home now. And so Jane ends up deciding to go home to visit her grandmother and aunt before she becomes a governess officially. And so this is the build-up. We've been introduced to Frank Churchill, who Emma really likes, Mr. Knightley doesn't, and Jane Fairfax, 
who Emma does not like and Mr. Knightley feels a lot of compassion for. And so we're getting this jumble of people now in this community, (laughs) and it's very exciting. So the first time we see everybody together is the ball at the Coles. So once again, we're at the Coles, and the (laughs) controversial Coles, um, they're throwing a ball this time. And one of the first things we hear while we're there is Mrs. Cole is talking about how Jane Fairfax got this random piano just as a gift, and they don't know where it came from. And she actually says, she says, it always has quite hurt me that Jane Fairfax, who plays so delightfully, should not have an instrument. And so I think this is a great example of a community effort that plays out in this book. And I just, it's one of my favorite parts, especially on this. It wasn't a read-through, full disclosure. I just, we both just mark-noted it because we knew enough, but we were getting through to make sure that we got all the beats and stuff but on this look through I realized how much a community this really is and especially thinking about it in the ministering lens like Mrs. Cole is not that big of a character but the fact that she even makes commentary about Jane Fairfax and her needs like she's also aware on some level I mean I'm sure she's not really in a position to buy her a piano but she also is like, I always thought that was really sad, you know? And, like, it's a very ministering-focused community. Like, they all have each other on each other's minds. Yeah. None of them are living in a bubble in this community. They may have, like, favorites. They may have people they get along with better than others and are closer with. But they all are working for each other's good. And that's what the program, especially of ministering, is meant to be, is to help build small communities within the kingdom of God within Zion and make sure everybody's being taken care of. And I feel like we see a lot of that in this book. So that's just a little bit, a little moment of us seeing that. We also see why Mr. Knightley is amazing in this. Because they talk about how, you know, well, Mrs. Weston goes up to Emma and is like, oh, I was going to like see, ask the Bateses since it's so cold if they wanted to ride in our carriage or something like that. And they said that Mr. Knightley's carriage actually brought them and was going to bring them home. And so he never uses his carriage. It makes it very clear that he likes to walk. But he brought his carriage for their sake because he knew that they would have to walk. And I just, I love that so much. Like, it just (laughs) shows such an awareness on his part. And we see a lot of instances in this book of him being very aware of the Bateses and Jane Fairfax in a very compassionate and loving way. And it doesn't feel like he's being condescending. Yeah. Like, it feels like he genuinely just wants to help. And he's willing to do whatever they want to do. Like, he, he doesn't... It's not for himself at all. It's just for what they need and yeah. he wants to give that he ends up sending apples over that Jane Fairfax loves because he knows they're almost out like little things like that that like I don't know if I would pick up on oh you're almost out of apples well let me send you more you know like yeah. these things or she's like, sick and so he goes to call on her and he's just like yeah. oh how yeah. you doing yeah. <laughs> checking and up on her help her voice is getting hoarse when she's singing and Frank Churchill is like please sing another sing. one and he's like Yo, and but instead of jumping in and being like, "Don't do that," he's very appropriate and respectful, and t- mentions it to Miss Bates, the aunt, the caretaker. He lets her do her job, yeah. And I think that's also a small little ministering moment to Miss Bates of like letting her feel like she has a purpose and letting, her, especially hmm. being an elderly spinster, I love that. like he like lets her 
end up fulfilling what small purpose she may have and feel in this community as being yeah. basically a mother figure in this moment. And I love, I just love that. So basically, Knightley and Kristoff. Yes. Perfect men. Perfect men. There you go. I mean, Mr. Knightley, I will say the one thing with Mr. Knightley is you have to be prepared to have him point out your faults. Yes. He loves to do (laughs) that. not everybody is able to do that. He doesn't do it in like a really mean way, though. He does it in a way where he genuinely wants to encourage you to do better, which for Emma, that works because she wants to do better, too. And she has tough skin and she's like, okay, you're right. Like she she's not the type to be hurt or offended by him. Yeah. There's Um, there is one time she cries over something he says to her, but it's because she feels so bad about it. She realizes that he's right. She's like, oh, I messed up and cries about it. Which yeah. is fair, as mm-hmm. long as you, you know, then say, okay, yes. <laughs> gonna do better next time. Exactly. So anyway, this is a really great scene where we're seeing a lot of just really good community and great ministering from Mr. Knightley specifically. Which okay. continues during the ball, too. Yes, <laughs> he does absolutely. the same thing. Yes, he keeps going. the actual, like, full-on ball that yes. we have a little later. But then, even though Frank Churchill has been unimpressive thus far. (laughs) He goes to London seemingly just to get a haircut. It's not actually for the haircut, but we learn that later. And um, we see him make Jane keep singing, even though her voice is getting hoarse. And so he's not looking great, but I feel like he's just very, like his strength is like his father's, where they're both very like go lucky happy people amiable happy to be around they just create a great atmosphere and so i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing i just think in certain contexts maybe it can go too far or lead them to have blind spots that maybe they shouldn't have but he also has other stuff going on because one of the things that drives me crazy about his character because he is super likable but he's so changeable he's like all over the place he's like super friendly and happy this one second and then running off and he's talking to you and then he's running over here and he asks a question but then he ignores it and then you know and then sometimes he's randomly depressed and you're like i cannot keep up with you bro calm down yes severe (laughs) except not (laughs) but he's just so yeah he's got he's got things on his mind but uh it's kind of it takes away from his character a lot for me and i'm kind of like okay you are not like you said he's very unaware he's just kind of he's like so all over the place and in his own world that he's not really capable of doing anything for anyone else and it's interesting because i think we can see how that developed based on the kind of home he was growing up in he was like clearly his aunt is very self-focused like yes. she's like everybody needs to come to me because i'm not feeling well and i might die like just very even though she's relatively fine until she's not anymore and she actually does <laughs> until die. she Everybody's dies like really <laughs> but um yes yeah, so he was raised in that kind of an environment he's also like i think there's some interesting commentary between him and jane fairfax on gender roles and dynamics in this time period because as a man like he kind of doesn't like understand the woman's plight like he doesn't understand the position he's really putting her into especially because he hasn't really grown up around like sisters or anything or in a family where that's a concern he just knows you know i'm a young man i pretty much can do whatever i want 
and he doesn't understand this whole waiting period and stuff how hard it is for Jane and like doesn't grasp that it's her life on the line <laughs> like and in some ways it is his too but honestly his life is not gonna be that much different whether he marries her or not not like there is gonna be oh, a big difference there's the reveal i know sorry <laughs> also you frank and jane are engaged yeah, that's, that's the secret behind all of this he acts like he doesn't like jane but he real does <laughs> anyway but he just like he doesn't realize for her it's like i either end up as a governess my the rest of my life and a spinster like my aunt or, and very poor and making my own money, which will barely be enough to keep me going, <laughs> or I marry you and have a good life. Like, those are her options. Oh, that's it. <laughs> and the longer she waits, and with nobody knowing, especially, the more it's like, I'm going to have to do yeah. the governess thing. And, and people are offering her to. governess positions, mm-hmm. and he's flirting with Emma and making yeah. it look like maybe he's not actually interested, mm-hmm. and he doesn't realize, like, how stressful that would be. Yes. She doesn't know how committed to her he actually is. Yeah. He can do whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. He's a man. <laughs> yeah. And it's a secret. And it's a secret. <laughs> There's no like societal obligation going on here. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I'm like, he's in a very different position from Knightley, basically. He's in the situation where he hasn't really had the experience Knightley has. Yeah. Um, and so he is a little less aware, but he does genuinely want to cheer people up and be a positive influence that way and we see that a lot we do see though a little bit of care for jane and awareness of her where emma ends up going to visit the bateses and he's already there Mm -hmm. and he's like fixing miss bates's glasses at the table which is just really sweet and it's so cute because it mentions like jane like it's cute when you reread it and it (laughs) mentions like jane is just kind of looking at like sitting at the piano like kind of looking away like not looking at him and you also he's the one who bought the piano yes oh yes (laughs) Other spoiler, he bought the piano. Uh, that's why he... <laughs> when he was not it. getting a haircut. Yes. <laughs> it wasn't the haircut. He was getting a piano for Jane. So it's a much more understandable reason to go all the way to London. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so it's just this very sweet scene that Emma's walking in on and doesn't even know. Yeah. Like, which is why it's so great to reread it because you as a reader are like, what's going on the sexual tension in this room is crazy and she doesn't even know she doesn't even know has no idea yes so anyway um this is a very interesting but this relationship with frank between emma and frank does lead her into another um difficulty where she makes assumptions about jane having feelings for mr dixon (laughs) the friend's husband and she tells frank (laughs) (laughs) about it and frank's like what Mm. oh yeah Mm. (laughs) like at first he's kind of like "Mm, i don't think so and then finally he's like actually (laughs) i was like you know jane a lot better than i do yeah yeah. that's probably it (laughs) and it's like he's trying to keep a secret but i also think like later on he i think part of him thought she knew and was using he Mr. Does Dixon say that. as an example, like, in place of him. Like, hmm. kind of being like, oh, Mr. Dixon must have gotten her the piano. And he's like, oh, yeah, Mr. Dixon, Dixon wink, wink. And yeah. he's thinking she's kind of in the know, but she's not actually. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting dynamic, too, because in some ways she should be. And the fact that she should be friends with Jane. That's brought mm. up a couple of times. Like, they grew up in this community together. They're the same age 
they're the ones who you would expect to be friends because of just the nature of their social standing. They're in the same social circle, and they're the only ones that age in that social circle. And they both have difficulties with parents, taking care of parents, things like that. And so they should get along really well, but due to jealousy, they just don't. And I think that is one area where Emma really, you know, you can argue, do they really need to be friends, whatever. I personally think they should have been, and I think it's a failing of Emma and Jane that neither of them try very hard. Because I think that they both need each other. And by the end, we see that a little bit. There's some hints at the fact that they need each other. And like, we see it a little bit specifically with, so, Flash forward a little bit. Um, Mr. Elton comes back, and surprise, he's Ugh. married to Mrs. Elton. Well, that's not her name before. Don't worry, they're not related. Um, but now Mrs. Elton, who is insufferable. Um, mm-hmm. She's very full of herself and very just quick to assume intimacy where there is none in an uncomfortable way. And so Emmett does not like her at all. And she's also, there. you get the feeling Mrs. Elton knows something about the history with Mr. Elton and Emma. And so she doesn't treat her very well because of that as well. But Mrs. Elton really attaches herself to Jane. And Emma's very confused about the fact that Jane would even let her, basically, let her be that intimate. And you realize reading this that it's because Jane doesn't have anybody else. Like, Emma at least has Mr. Knightley. But Jane doesn't even, she doesn't, like, her grandmother and aunt are great, but they're not going to be confidants that same way as a friend would be. She doesn't even, like, Emma has Mr. Knightley. Jane doesn't even have Frank because they can't say anything to anybody about the situation because of Frank's aunt. And it's this really difficult situation. So I feel so bad for Jane because she is kind of forced to accept this very condescending, slightly rude and awkward Intimacy, forced intimacy with Mrs. Elton because she doesn't have anybody else. Like, she feels very alone. And that was an opportunity for Emma to minister to Jane, and she wasn't there to do it. And later she realizes that and apologizes yeah. that she wasn't able to be there for her. Um, but it is really sad to, especially rereading it, knowing what's going on, like, realizing just how alone Jane is and she makes it very clear eventually how much it's exhausting her. Yeah, one actually interesting thing that the spark notes brought up (laughs) um, was that Mrs. Elton's that forced intimacy that you're talking about is actually really similar to Emma with Harriet at the beginning of Mm, the novel. That is interesting. It's like this you know, kind of condescending, like, I'm going to, like, you need somebody and I have means and therefore I'm going to help you and be close to you and kind of take you under my wing, right? And a lot of it, I think Mrs. Elton is more extreme and, uh, you know, we don't really know her, but we are led to believe that she is not as genuine and heartfelt as Emma. (laughs) So yeah, I think it's a more extreme case of it, but, and Mr. Elton is not the influence that Mr. Knightley is. And so I think, you know, that that's a whole other conversation about friends and influences and and all of that. But, uh, But yeah, I think it's interesting to think about how, similar they are and I don't know maybe a little reassuring to think of Mrs. Elton kind of 
just starting out her story and journey on this path and maybe she'll learn and grow and yeah, become sure. less su- insufferable because yeah. <laughs> she is really awful. The biggest part of this dance that is a difficulty is, I should say, Emma at this point has officially decided she's not into Frank Churchill. She was kind of going back and forth, but she's like, I'm not, but we're just kind of friends. So anyway, this ball happens and and we have this terrible scene where Mrs. Weston is sitting down and Mr. Elton comes up to her just as a dance is starting. And he says, Mrs. Weston, would you like to dance? And she's like, oh, no, I'm okay. She's pregnant at this point, so that's why, but she, that's not what she says. <laughs> but she basically says, I'm just not in a position to. And then there's another woman. I think it might be Mrs. Goddard. I'm not sure, though but possibly there's another woman there who and so he asks this other woman to dance and she says no I'm not doing great either and then he says well Mrs. Weston says oh there's a young lady over there who hasn't been asked and it's Harriet and he sees her he sees Miss Miss Smith and basically is like oh I would but you know I'm an old married man and two seconds ago he had said I'm a married man but I can still dance and now he's saying, oh, you know, I'm a married old man. I'm not going. I don't need to. Like, I'm good. I, my dancing days are over, basically. Horrible and slight. Awful. And Horrible. then walks away. And then he ends up, like, snickering about it with his wife very clearly. And Emma misses kind of some, some transition. But next she looks. They're snickering. But then Mr. Knightley has taken Harriet on, on the Mr. Knightley, who has not danced this entire time because he says that he doesn't like to dance. And he has refuses, refused uh-huh. to dance he the whole time. He dance. And he's the one Mr. Elton actually went over to sit by after doing that. And so Mr. Knightley like, gets his butt up. <laughs> and goes and uh, true gentleman. So uh. sweet. Such a great ministering moment. Love. And... It's this moment, I think, too, that Emma, like, officially falls in love with Mr. Knightley as well. She was already kind of checking him out yes, earlier in the dance. they were already <laughs> having some things, but this is a moment where she's like, yes. And oh, so man. after that, they end up dancing, too, and it's great. But the problem that this leads to is that Harriet falls in love with Mr. Knightley. <laughs> but originally, Emma thinks she's in love with Frank Churchill, because Frank Churchill saves her from some gypsies on the road. <laughs> So another terrible assumption that bites her in the butt real fast. But um, in the meantime, we have the Box Hill incident, which is such a cringy scene. This is the second (sighs) scene that just makes me so upset with Emma. But she knows too. So, oh, first of all, actually, I did want to bring this up about Jane. It's a quote from Jane. It's at a previous party. So this one is at Donwell Abbey. Is that what his house house's name is mm-hmm. um mr knightley's home they're touring it together as a party frank churchill hasn't arrived he's very slow in coming and jane fairfax ends up leaving and she ends up saying um to emma she meets emma kind of away from everybody else and says hey can you basically just let everybody else know that i'm leaving it says she spoke with great agitation and Emma very feelingly replied that can be no reason for your being exposed to danger now I must order the carriage the heat even would be a danger you are fatigued already I am she answered I am fatigued but it is not it is not the sort of fatigue quick walking will refresh me Miss Woodhouse we all know at times what it is to be wearied in spirits mine I confess are exhausted the greatest kindness you can show me will be to let me have my own way and only say that I am gone when it is necessary 
Emma had not another word to oppose. She saw it all, and entering into her feelings promoted her quitting the house immediately and watched her safely off with the zeal of a friend. So this is the first time where she shows real friendship to Jane by being like, instead of, I think it's so beautiful that it's a moment where she is like, I'm not going to say anymore because I understand what you're saying about your emotional state right now. And she doesn't even push the carriage. So basically she's trying to say you need to take the carriage because it's really hot outside you shouldn't walk all that way it could be exhausting for you and she jane's explaining like no it's not that kind of fatigue i just need a walk and emma is just very understanding and lets her go and this is one of the greatest emma ministering moments i think it's just this very simple like i get it you do what you need to do basically and at this point jane is very kind of jealous of emma so it's kind of very interesting that jane is willing to talk to her even in this way and like make it clear because I think a part of her does recognize the value in Emma and then Emma is also starting to recognize the feeling and emotion in Jane that is often very hidden because Jane is a very aloof and quiet person um anyway so this happens and when Frank Churchill comes he's very heated and it's because he met Jane on the way and they had a conversation and he's pretty angry about it and so then the Box Hill fiasco happens later and at this point, they are gathered around. Frank is being very flirtatious with Emma the whole time. He's there. He's not really paying attention to anybody else. It's not a really great party, to be honest. Um, and then they, Frank decides to have them play a game where everybody needs to say something basically very humorous to moderately humorous things or three very dull things indeed. And Miss Bates jumps on and is like, oh, this will be very easy for me. I can say dull things all day long. And Emma replies by basically saying, see, that's the issue. You have to limit yourself to three. And very sarcastically pointing out that Miss Bates is very chatty and obnoxious to Emma and in a very clear way. And Miss, Miss Bates does pick up on it. And then the party continues and Emma kind of, kind of forgets about it. Well, then on the way out, Mr. Knightley pulls her aside and is like, I am shocked that you just did that. You really hurt her. She's a woman who is poor. She was raised in better means and she's lost all of that. She saw you raised from a baby. She helped to raise you in some ways. Like, this is a woman you should respect and the fact that you treated her that way, like, you should be ashamed of yourself, basically, and you need to fix it. And like we said, that's when Emma cries because she feels terrible about the situation. I think it's kind of cool, too, that that's where we see that Mr. Knightley does understand the woman's plight. You kind of mentioned that with Frank Churchill. And here you could honestly say that Mr. Knightley understands it better than Emma, almost, you know, like not in, in different ways, obviously, because Emma experiences it in her own way. But Emma is rich and spoiled and with her dad can kind of get away with whatever she wants to do. <laughs> She's yeah. pretty uh, unlimited in in her options relatively. And uh, Mr. Knightley is kind of has to explain to her, like, these women don't have that. Like, this is not the case with everybody around you and you can't assume that it is. And I think he recognizes that about Jane too. Jane has been raised in really, really good means and is now facing having to just lose it instantaneously. And he's really good at recognizing those problems and ministering to those people, you know, regardless and because of, you know, both of them. And so, and I like that 
he takes the opportunity to point that out to Jane because he does have this understanding of something that is a little bit beyond her. And then I think it's great that part of the ministering too is when we do mess up asking for forgiveness and trying to make amends and letting people make amends. And mm. so that's what happens next is Emma goes to the Bates's house and unfortunately Jane is still jealous of Emma and she's very upset because she's officially accepted a governess position kind of giving up on Frank and so she's upset and so she goes and hides. Emma doesn't really know this at this point but that's what's happening Um, but in the meantime she does talk to Miss Bates and basically apologizes in her own way. She doesn't directly do it and I think that's part of a cultural thing more than anything but she does show that very a lot of care for Miss Bates and Miss Bates even says it's very kind, but you're always kind, Miss Woodhouse, which just makes me want to cry Aww. every time I hear it or read it or think about it, because it's just a very, like, complete forgiveness. Like, yeah. she's like, you're always kind. Like, you're, like, what you're you wrong, but me, really yes. sweet. <laughs> but she's like, what you did to hurt me, like, that's, I'm forgetting about it. You yeah. know, it's forgive and forget kind of a thing. Yeah. And I love that Emma is willing to make those amends, but I love that Miss Bates is willing to minister back by helping Emma realize like I've forgiven you and like you can move on mm-hmm. just like I am and I just I love that because that is such a good kind thing to do to let someone know that they don't have to beat themselves up because we all do it let's be honest in yeah. one way or another so then we do find out that f- about the Frank and Jane what's actually been going on after the death of Mrs. Churchill she actually did die <laughs> she wasn't just making it up this time <laughs> And, um, yes, so we find out Frank and Jane are engaged and have been this whole time. And they actually met at the Campbells. And I love that Emma is angry on Jane's behalf. (laughs) And part of it, she's like, how dare he treat Jane that way? That's so (laughs) awful. Even though Frank's been, like, her friend this whole time. Like, she's like, oh, I can't even And she could be saying, how could he treat me that way? Because, you know, she's totally been leading her on and everybody else is like really concerned for Emma and she's kind of like nah like I knew he wasn't into me and I wasn't really into him yeah, so. like, she's like oh well, we had already moved past that like it's totally fine yeah I love that she's angry on Jane's behalf and a little bit on Harriet's because she thinks Harriet was in love with Frank which she quickly learns was not true but there's also <laughs> this really great like reconcilement moment with Jane where it's still technically a secret there's only a few people who know about Jane and Frank in the town but she goes to the ba- Emma goes to the Bateses and sees Jane and Mrs. Elton's there and she's like Mrs. Elton was clearly in on the secret too because she's making all these comments and stuff like very proud that she's in on the secret and Emma is like wanting to kind of show Jane that she's aware and like she's sorry if she caused her any pain or anything and she's able to get that message through a little bit but after Mrs. Elton leaves Emma leaves too and Jane ends up talking to her directly and both of them are like I'm so sorry and I love that both of them like it could so easily just be Emma like Jane Austen could have written as Emma apologizing but it also shows Jane apologizing be like I shouldn't have assumed these things about you I'm sorry that I never made the effort to be good friends we should have been and and then you see that like from then on they're going to be um they end up getting married around the same time and stuff and so they're able to have that good friendship 
and I just, I really love it so much. So yes, I love that very two-sided ministering effort that's going on between those two by the end of this after so many missed opportunities of yeah. ministering. And then we get the nightly proposal scene. So Emma learns that Harriet was actually into Mr. Knightley this whole time. And she's like, oh, crap, I am too. I know. We got to read okay. that quote. We got, <laughs> I have no it. idea Please where it do. is, but I got to read it. I just... So Harriet reveals that it's actually Mr. Knightley. And <laughs> Emma is like, do you think that's going to work? She goes, have you any idea if Mr. Knightley's returning your affection? And Harriet says yes. And Emma, like, has to sit and kind of, like, thinks for a minute. And she's kind of like, hmm. <laughs> and contemplating. And she asks herself... Why was it so much worse that Harriet should be in love with Mr. Knightley than with Frank Churchill? Why was the evil so dreadfully increased by Harriet's having some hope of a return? It darted through her with the speed of an arrow that Mr. Knightley must marry no one but herself. Her own conduct as well as her own heart was before her in the same few minutes. Like she literally had no idea until this moment. And then she's like, wait, I want to marry Mr. Knightley. <laughs> Just this this whole time, she's like, oh, no one else is going to marry Mr. Knightley. So it's like not even crossing her head because she's like, she, she feels like she it. already has him. Like, she says he can't marry somebody, but like comes up with other reasons. She's like, oh, no, my nephew needs to inherit his estate. Yes. So like Mr. Knightley can't get married. Yeah. Like, it's just so natural to her that he's not going to marry anybody else. It's like, obviously he's not. And because she doesn't want to get married to start with, she's like... It's not going to be to me, but it's not going to be to anybody else. Yeah, like, can't get married. Just naturally, she's like, oh, he's just not. But then she realizes it's because she's in love with him and she doesn't want him to <laughs> Like, it's so great. So wonderful. <laughs> and so this does cause a, cause a rift in the friendship, which is unfortunate. It is sad. And Emma's very torn up. Like, she wants to do the right thing by Harriet, especially after everything she's put her through. But then she has this other side of her that's in love with Mr. Knightley. And so she's struggling. She's walking around the grounds. And Mr. Knightley comes. And he comes because he's worried about her being heartbroken over Frank Frank Churchill. Which is just so cute. He literally comes to reassure her about Frank. And just be like, I'm so sorry. And she's like, oh, I I was so past that. I'm fine. Weeks ago. And um, he's like, oh, okay good and it also gives him hope he's like okay and so he did not come planning to propose or anything he came planning to just be a friend and so he starts to go into his feelings with her but she thinks he's going to talk about Harriet and so she's like no stop (laughs) she's like you don't have to say it it's okay and then she realizes that she hurt him he looks sad so she's like I can't do that to him so she's like okay you can tell me (laughs) Basically, and it's all for him. Like she doesn't. Yes, hear they're it. both there but, for each yes. other, even though they're both. They both think that the other person is in love with somebody else, and they yes. don't want to talk to each other about it. But they're both just talking to each other about it's it. So cute. <laughs> so sweet. so cute. And then yeah, so it says Emma could not bear to give him pain. He was wishing to confide in her, <sighs> perhaps to consult her, cost her what it would, she would listen. <gasps> and so she's like, okay, before we go in, like you can, you were going to tell me something. And I I was rude and so like I want you to know you can talk to me about it and she says as a friend and he says as a friend Emma that I fear is a word no I have no wish stay yes why should I hesitate I have gone too far already for concealment Emma I accept your offer 
Extraordinary as it may seem, seem, I accept it and refer myself to you as a friend. Tell me then, have I no chance of ever succeeding? And this is when she's like, what <laughs> are you talking about? And he says, my dearest Emma, for dearest you will always be, whatever the event of this hour's conversations, my dearest, most beloved Emma. And I love that he basically gives her permission to say no if she doesn't want to. Yes. And they'll still be friends and it will be okay. But she... Which is she, not what she did for Harriet yes, at the beginning. Not at all. <laughs> and so he's doing so, being so kind in that. And then Emma's like just silent listening because she's in shock <laughs> about what's happening. And he says, oh, iconic line. He says, I cannot make speeches, Emma. If I loved you less, I might be able to talk about it more. But you know what I am. <gasps> and I love that so much. He's so cute. He's you just know nuts. what I am. Yes. Like, I just, like, my being, my, co- like, she, oh, you I just. You know me. You know that's me. why this should happen, basically. <laughs> and and I don't so... need to say anything else about it. You know. Yes. She doesn't so... know, but. Yes. <laughs> now she does. But now she does. And, oh. of course, she says yes. And we love it. And she does find a way to help Harriet through it. She ends up, well, she has some sort of tooth ache or something that Mm -hmm. she goes to get taken care of in London. She stays with Emma's sister and her husband. While there, Harriet ends up meeting back up with Mr. Martin. And they decide to get married. married. Harriet is heartbroken over it. I will say I love the 2020 adaptation, the way they did this, because it makes it seem like Emma and Harriet really are friends. Mm -hmm. And it's not just Emma's project, which it kind of feels like in the book, for obvious reasons, a lot of it having to do with just society at the time. But um, in the movie, I did want to mention it, in the movie, Emma actually goes to Mr. Martin herself Hmm. and apologizes to him about everything and says... You know, and basically doesn't tell him to go for it, but he she gives him the picture she drew of Harriet for Mr. Elton earlier on, and then basically telling him, like, go ahead and ask her again. She'll say yes this time. And I love that Emma shows the humility in that moment to go not just apologize to Harriet, but apologize to Mr. Martin. And it's a beautiful show of ministering as well, of her recognizing everybody involved and being willing to humble herself enough to serve those who need it for the sake of more than just even one person, which is just extra beautiful. But yes, they end up getting married, and I believe they're the first to get married. Mm -hmm. And it does point out in the book that Emma and Harriet, because of their social classes, aren't able to be as close as they were after that, after they both get married, especially because they're just too distant as far as social class goes. But you get the feeling they'll still have a positive relationship, like Mr. Knightley and Robert Martin have a positive relationship. Yeah. That Emma and Harriet will also have that fond relationship, kind relationship. And I love the end of this book because, like I keep mentioning, it's all such a community effort. Um, And it actually ends with a focus on that. Um, It says, But in spite of these deficiencies, the wishes, the hopes, the confidence, the predictions of the small band of true friends who witnessed the ceremony were fully answered in the perfect happiness of the union. So they all worked together to help bring Mr. Knightley and Emma together in their own ways. Everybody had their roles. There's actually a great talk that was given in 2018 in response to President Nelson's announcement by Jeffrey R. Holland about ministering. 
And in it, um, he talks about basically this family who the mother of the home had cancer and the the whole ward came together and each did their parts in helping support this family. And then even when the mother passed away from her cancer, everybody, so many other people got continued to be involved within this ward. Um, and there's this quote towards the end of that story that says, it was clearly a labor of love each member giving of him or herself unitedly showing, caring in individual ways that bless not only the suffering sister, but each member of her family. And I feel like we really see this in so many ways throughout this story. Each character, even if they seem very insignificant, even if it's the Coles who are barely even mentioned, have little moments where you see that they're playing their part in this community and are bringing people together and helping each other out. And I love that that's what ministering ultimately does. It doesn't just help individual relationships, it also builds up Zion in a more perfect way. I also love that the ministering doesn't actually stop right there because we find out too that one of I'm um, one of the reasons this whole time Emma didn't want to get married was because she didn't want to leave her father because she knew that he would like yes. freak out and not be able to handle it. And she's like, well, we're going to have to get married after he dies. <laughs> it's like not even a question in her mind, right? Yeah. Like she's willing to sacrifice that to stay with her father. And Mr. Knightley is like, well, I guess I'm just moving into your dad's house. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like this is the same thing, you know, where he's like, I like he understands the way that he says, you know what I am, like, he gets it. He knows Mr. Woodhouse. He knows Emma. He knows Emma's not going to leave. And he wouldn't want her to because then she would be giving up this part of her that he loves about her so much. Yeah, and, and he loves Mr. Woodhouse too. Yeah. He wants to be there for her as Exactly. Well. Yeah, and so it's this great way that they kind of compromise and sacrifice and minister together. And one thing that I love about this whole conversation is that there are like the number of ways you can minister, like it's all just ministering, you yeah. know, <laughs> like yes. anything. And I love actually just on the church website on like the what is ministering article. It just says like the first paragraph is ministering is learning of and attending to others needs. This first sentence, I guess. Like, it's just so, and then later on it says, the ways in which we can love and minister to one another are limitless. Every child of God is unique, and therefore ministering is individualized and unique to each person. And in a way that makes it harder sometimes, because it's not just like, you know, make a casserole dish and go give it to somebody, (laughs) and that's how you minister. But, you know, we have to think about it, but it can also make it so easy, because literally just get to know someone. Why can they minister to each other so effectively? Because they know, why does he know, like, he sends Jane apples, and that's a great ministering moment. Why? Because he knows Jane likes apples, (laughs) you know? Like, if we just, if we get to know each other, build Zion, build that community, and then just, like, help people, Mm -hmm. just, like, do things for them, whether it's giving somebody a bag of apples or, like, making a huge sacrifice for them. But, like, it's all ministering and that it all goes back to when you're in the service of your fellow men you're in the service of your god beautiful 
Oh gosh, I love this book so much. <laughs> Such a great story. Um, let us know, comments, emails, what you thought about our conversation. If you had anything you wanted to add, we'd love, yes. love, love to hear it. Great ministering moments. Yes, exactly. <laughs> anything like that would be wonderful and well received. Also, cu- out of curiosity, let us know your favorite Jane Austen book because Ooh. I'd love to hear that. And it also may help us decide what our next one will be that we'll discuss because I'm sure in a few months we'll come back. Oh, it'll happen again. We have to. We have to. (laughs) Anyway, um, be sure to subscribe and leave a like or review depending on if you're watching on YouTube or just listening to the podcast. Follow us on Instagram at God in All Things Podcast. We post very regularly over there like we've said before. So be sure to check us out over there. And then you can check out what I'm reading on the channel Good Strong Words over on YouTube. It's very informative formal and fun over there so be sure to check out there <laughs> and that should be everything from us today so we hope you are having a wonderful day keep remembering to see god in all things and we will see you next time bye bye, bye.